Here's the deal with this series, okay? Who needs God? What, what can, you're probably thinking, what kind of a church does a series called Who Needs God? Because you assume that we assume that you think that you need God or you wouldn't be at our Orland campus or our Homer campus or our New Lenox campus or watching online. But, but you know what happens when you assume, right? And I believe that God placed me on the earth in Chicagoland in 2018 because he wants you to know that he does not assume that you think you need him. As a matter of fact, he needs you. Is that weird for me to say? Well, he's your dad, and if you're gone, he misses you. The end. And we exist as a church for the purpose of bringing people home to God, especially those who've been far away. And he doesn't assume that you know you need him. He does not assume in any way. He actually paid the ultimate price of his son's life so that you could have admittance into his holy kingdom. And we're glad you're here, and we welcome you and we welcome your doubts, because we have them too. My name's Tim, and I'm the pastor. Glad you're here. Speaking of Jesus saves, this gives it a whole new meaning, doesn't it? That's hilarious, but if you take the humor out of it, this is exactly what we're talking about. Jesus is saving you a spot, you guys, all right? Um, I just want to say before I roll into this, thank you for being you. Thank you for letting me be me and you be you at this place. I was at a pastor's conference this week, and uh, it's one I've been a part of for 15 years. I kind of went in as the new young guy, you know, and, and now, you know, things are different, more of a mentor level kind of in this place. But every year I just come back, and, I'm, and I didn't hear any bad stories. There's a lot of good stories I heard this week, but I always, always realize why God brought me here, and I'm just so thankful for you. We're in part three of Who Needs God by Andy Stanley, okay, pastor down in Atlanta. And we talked about the first week about this issue of the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, the fastest growing religious group in America. Uh, they're the group that don't believe in anything, okay? They're, they don't know what they believe. They're not necessarily all atheists, but, but uh, like some of them are atheists. Some of them just don't know. They're agnostic. They just don't know. And we talked the first week about the reasons why people quit on God. The first one is the intellectual reason. Maybe you've been Galileoed. Maybe they're legitimate intellectual reasons. We'll talk about that a little bit today. Or maybe you've just been Galileoed in the church you thought taught you things, and, and then all of a sudden you have intellectual issues. Maybe they're emotional reasons. Maybe it's, it's Parkland, Florida. Maybe it's Commander Bauer's, you know, murder. Maybe it's, maybe it's whatever's going on in your life, and you're just like, I don't understand. How does this work, God? Maybe they're religious reasons because of hypocrisy or something the church people have done to get in the way. None of those are God's fault. They're all the church's fault. That's what I'm telling you, okay? Week two, Pastor Todd, who evidently doesn't know how to shovel snow, did a, a great job of uh, talking about the wrong kinds of gods. And I think that's so important. Talked about the, the bodyguard God and the on-demand God and the boyfriend-girlfriend God and the guilt God. And they're not, that's not God. I don't, we don't believe in those gods either. Go back and listen to those sermons online. I think it's really important for you to have this. And so many of you grew up with this issue of faith, and it was like you, you had questions in Sunday school or CCD, and you, were, you, you never got them answered. Or maybe you weren't even allowed to ask them, and they just said, oh, we, we don't ask those questions here. We're just supposed to have faith. I want to keep it going today and talk about a big issue with all of this, and it's the Bible. The Bible can be dangerous if you're not careful. 
Cake decorator was asked by a Christian bride to inscribe 1 John 4.18 on the wedding cake. Unfortunately, the cake decorator wasn't real familiar with Scripture, didn't know there were letters of 1 John and a gospel of John. So instead of putting up 1 John 4.18, which looks good on a wedding cake, perfect love casts out every fear, she put, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. (laughs) The Bible can be dangerous, you see what I'm saying? So Jesus loves me this I know, for the Bible tells me so. If you don't know that song, it's a classic. We sang it to our kids every night before they went to bed. And we sing it every night to our grandkids when we get to visit them and help put them to bed. The the question is not what song do you want. The question is who do you want to sing the song? And it's always Nana, but I'm okay. It's all all right. She's the popular ones. Jesus loved me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. I mean, there is really nothing more important for me to impart on my offspring than that concept. That's That's why we've always sang it and probably always will. But if you aren't careful... As you grow up and try to get an adult version of the faith, the implication of that song is, I believe in Jesus because of the Bible, which is fine until someone starts ripping apart the Bible in ways you've never heard before. It's fine until Dan Brown, author, writes a best-selling book called The Da Vinci Code and tells you that the church lied and Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene. It's fine until your professor in college tells you that the earth is four and a half billion years old and you've been taught that the, that the Bible says that it's only 6,000 years old. It's fine until your pastor gets a tattoo at the church where you're going, which I have on my, on my left shoulder, and, and you were taught by your church growing up that tattoos were of the devil. Do you see what happens? You get super confused. And let me just say right up front that, that no one believes in the Bible is God's word more than me. This is one of my theme scriptures. All scripture, Paul tells Timothy, that's who I was named for. All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That was was what my parents imparted to me and people that were training me for ministry. This is is a theme verse, okay? My granddaughter, our granddaughter was visiting from California uh, and showed up at the airport just in time to come to church where both sets of her grandparents who are in the church uh, were in the rooted gathering. And I was up teaching the rooted gathering. And Jody Watson took this picture of me teaching with Olivia who had run up to be with me on stage in my arms teaching out of the Bible and just put root. And by the way, you got to get in the next rooted thing, man. The next, the next one will go after Easter. But, but what is that? I mean, I have that picture in my office because it means that much to me. I want my granddaughter, I want my kids, my grandkids, my church to be rooted in the Word of God. I want that to happen. But here's the problem. The Bible is complex. The Bible is a library of 66 books. It was written a long time ago by different authors, and it's not easy to understand. It's not Ikea instructions, you guys. It wasn't even written in English. It was written in Greek, in Hebrew, and Aramaic. And I'm guessing the only Greek you know makes a mean baklava. Ba-dum-bum, right? So, so when you send off your kids to college with the attitude of the Bible says that I believe it, that settles it, and then the professor gets up and says, well, there's problems with the Bible, everything can start to fall apart for them. 
When somebody in their astronomy class says, well, the Bible's not true because it talks about sunrise and sunset. Everybody knows that doesn't happen. Or when you look at a Da Vinci painting of the Last Supper, and, and you know, Dan Brown's whole thing was that Jesus was, was married to Mary Magdalene and that this, instead of being John, the apostle, was Mary Magdalene. And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, dude looks like a lady. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I understand that. And you start to have faith doubts unnecessarily because you, you haven't ever processed the fact that the Bible is speaking figuratively about sunrise just like the weatherman does every day. Or that this is not a real picture. Put it back up. This is not a real picture of the Last Supper. Okay? You know this, right? Da Vinci painted this 1,400 years after Jesus had supper. And by the way, there's no way they looked like this, nor did they only sit on one side of the table. Okay? we got to process all of this. So, so let me just say right up front, okay? The Bible is not in trouble. The Bible is so not in trouble. There is literally a thousand times more proof for the accuracy of the Bible than any other document in history. It is an unbelievable miracle of God that 40 different authors could write on three different continents over a period of 1,500 years, and we could come up with a book like this. I'll put it on the screen so I make sure that you get what I'm saying. I totally and completely believe the Bible is the Word of God, okay? I totally, completely, this is it. The fact that it was written, especially the New Testament, was written during a time when eyewitnesses could have easily disproven what they were saying, to me, makes the story of Jesus undeniable. And here's a, here's a classic example, easy to use. Luke chapter 3. Luke is the historian one of these guys. He's the one with a higher education level of the gospel writers. And here's what he says in Luke 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch, Galilee, Philip, Tetrarch, Trachimos, whatever, Abilene, Annas, Caiaphas. Okay? When you, look in that, when you look at that verse, there's 15 different things in that verse. This is Luke's way of saying, fact check me, sucker. If you don't believe what I'm saying, I mean, he didn't just put, you know, back in the day, right? I mean, he put 15 different historical facts in one verse because he wanted to make sure you knew it really happened in that specific time. What's interesting about that is it was kind of a problem for a while because 14 of those checked out from archaeology really easily. And one of them was hard to figure out because we never found any archaeological evidence of Pontius Pilate. And that's kind of a big deal, right? He's a big part of the story. Until 1961 in Caesarea. One of the cool things about a Holy Land pilgrimage is going to Caesarea, being on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea, and, and getting to see this, the Pilate stone. The first time we see the word Pilate, Pontius Pilate, on, uh, on a stone. And the reliability of the documents in the Bible is unprecedented, especially after the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1946, where we found pieces of Scripture that dated before Jesus that were the same prophecies about who Jesus was going to be as the ones we already had in the Old Testament. But that's a different sermon. Let's talk about it from the other side, okay? Let, let me quote Andy Stanley on this. Christianity does not exist because of the Bible any more than you exist because of your birth certificate. Christianity does not exist because of the Bible any more than you exist because of your birth certificate. Your birth certificate is a record of something that happened. If you lose your birth certificate, you do not go out of existence. 
So the New Testament records that something happened. Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. It's actually the other way around. And for the first 300 years of Christianity, we didn't even have a Bible, you guys. We had a few people that had a few documents that were, they were able to hold on to and, and put together, but they weren't put together in the form of the Bible for 300 years. And for 1,400 years, it wasn't even translated into English, and there was no printing press. So what I'm saying is for the first millennia and a half of Christianity, very few people could say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You with me? So let me take a shot at the problem, the problem that people have with the Bible and try to explain this to you and help you out with your faith, okay? Uh, what's the problem with the Bible? Well, the problem, one problem, the legitimate problem, is people make it say things it doesn't say. Okay. Bill Maher was on uh, Larry King. Bill Maher is a, is a famous media guy, talk show host, and atheist, outspoken atheist, critic of religion. He's on Larry King. He says this, I don't respect religion. I don't respect superstitious thinking, which is what religion is. I don't respect childish thinking, which is what religion is. The Bible, that book that has people who live to be 900 years old and says the world is 6,000 years old and that there are people who lived in a whale... That infallible work of genius that says you should stone a guy to death if he works on Sunday? No, I'm sorry. I don't respect people who believe in religion. And you hear stuff like that, and you think, well, what if he's right? Stuff like this gets thrown out in, in social media, popular culture, TV all the time. Okay, let me help you with this. For one thing, there are some things he brings up, some other things he brings up I don't even have time to deal with, that, that, that I, I don't understand either. And maybe that's the best thing that you could figure out is, is when, when you're talking to your kids, your grandkids, when you're talking to people who, are, who want to tear the Bible apart, it's okay to say, you know what, There's, I, I don't know how people live to be 900. I don't understand that. Here's what I know. I don't want to live to be 900. Can I get an amen? Okay. I, I, I don't want to do that. But, but there's some stuff that I just, I just, I, I don't get. I don't understand it. Uh, maybe the environment of the earth was different. Maybe it's allegorical. Maybe, maybe somebody messed up how many years the Enoch lived. I don't know what the deal is. I don't understand it. Maybe God just decided to do it because in the beginning, God, and he can do whatever he wants to do. But here's the problem with the rest of this. The Bible never says the world is 6,000 years old. It never does. Some Christians do, a bunch don't. A recent survey in Christianity Today polled Christian, evangelical Christian people and said, How, what do you believe about Genesis 1 and 2? One-third believed in a young earth, a 6,000-year-old earth. A third of them believed in an old earth. And a third of them believed in theistic evolution. In other words, God was the big bang and helped everything along. So what do you do with that? Well, I don't know what you do with it. You've got to study it for yourself or decide you don't want to decide, and it doesn't matter to you because that's not the point. But the Bible never says 6,000 years old. The Bible doesn't say Jonah was in a whale. This is semantics, but I have a point here. The Bible says it was a big fish, okay? Big fish is different than a whale, it doesn't matter because it still doesn't make any sense that Jonah could live in a big fish any more than he could in a whale. But just because of Pinocchio, we kind of translated it over there, right? And the Bible doesn't say you could stone a guy for working on Sunday. It was Saturday, Bill. Okay. 
None of which matters to his point, okay? None of it does, but we need to be careful about making the Bible say stuff it doesn't say. Because just a little error can make a big difference, okay? Valentine's Day this week, um, I'm just, ladies, I just want to tell you, sometimes guys just um, go into Walgreens and they see a card and they grab it and they give it to you. I, I, don't, I don't want to burst your bubble. I know you think that, you know, he poured over it and he, sat, he stood there for an hour and, and just had to find the thing with the right feeling. But, but case in point, my brother-in-law um, gave my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law Jack gave my sister-in-law a, a Valentine's card this week and she was in the other room when she opened it up and she said, um, Jack, could you come and look at this? He got her a card that said, to the man who has my heart. <laughs> okay, listen. You know, you can make a little mistake and it could go, it could, make, it could be really the whole wrong message. And I agree, I agree with Bill, okay? There are some Old Testament passages that are so hard to understand. It's interesting that Jesus broke the Sabbath rule when he was here, and he told the Pharisees that they were missing the point. And we're going to talk all about Jesus next week, so don't miss it. But there's no denying for me that there are some things in the Old Testament that are difficult to understand. The story of Jonah is crazy, and some people just believe it to be an allegory and not a true story. I don't. I believe it's a true story because I believe if God could create life, he could sustain it for three days in a fish. And it's not crazier than Jesus being in the tomb for three days. And that's the most important point in the Bible. And that can't be an allegory. But the issue for me is this. Can you have questions and still believe that Jesus loves me? Can you have questions about the Bible and still believe that Jesus loves me? I hope so because I do. Can you believe differently about interpretations in the Bible and still have faith in God and end up with him forever? Of course. Otherwise, heaven's going to be this tiny little place with just a few people that got all the answers right, okay? That's number one. People make it say things it doesn't. Number two, we might not have discovered things yet, okay? Easiest one I could give you. Abraham was told he would be the father of many nations, and his descendants would be as the sand of the sea and the stars in the sky. And we hear that, and we're like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. That's infinite. That's code for infinity and infinity, right? Except until Galileo and his buddies discovered the telescope, people would read that scripture, and they would go, well, there's a ton of sand here. That's infinity. But when I look up at the sky, I mean, even without today's smog and lights and airplanes flying around, you see the naked eye on a best day, you can only see 10,000 stars. You realize that? So people used to go, I don't really get this analogy because I, I can, that's not as many as this because we didn't know enough yet. You see what I'm saying? They are discovering things all the time that proves the Bible. Archaeologists are digging up stuff all the time that proves the Bible. And by the way, all the single ladies... Archaeologists make great husbands because the older you get, the more interested they are in you. <laughs> it's just from me to you. If you find one, go for it, okay? Number three, we may not understand the cultural context, right? I'm going to talk about this a little bit in a second. But like, for example, in the Bible, uh, Paul it talks about how women should have their heads covered in worship. Uh, 
Why don't we do that anymore? Well, somewhere along the way, we realized that there was a cultural context to that. Maybe you grew up in a head-covering kind of a place, but we realized that there was a cultural context that doesn't apply anymore. He said they shouldn't wear jewelry, and we figured out along the way that there was a cultural context for that. Tattoos is perfect. For one thing, it's Old Testament, and we're not bound by the Old Testament law anymore. But for another thing, what they were talking about in Leviticus was about markings for the dead. I mean, they were occult markings. The early church, if you study the early church history, many of them had tattoos. It wasn't about the tattoo. It was about what was on the tattoo. When you understand that, it changes everything. All right? Fourth problem with the Bible, I'm going to admit this. Maybe some of the Bible copiers made a mistake. If If you look in your Bible, if you look in a study Bible and you look in the notes, you will see an early, every once in a while, you'll see something that says an earlier manuscript says this, something, something else says that. New monk arrives at the monastery. He's assigned to help the other monks in copying the old text by hand. He notices they're not copying copies, or they're copying copies and not the original. And so he goes to the, to the old monk that runs the place. He's like, hey, you know, if we're copying copies and somebody makes a mistake, then we're going to keep making mistakes. Shouldn't we be copying the original? Uh, and, and the old monk said, you know what, you got a point. So he went down into the cellar to find the original copies that they had, the original works that they had from the Bible. And he's down there for a really, really long time, and nobody sees him for a long time. And finally, one of the young monks goes downstairs to look for him, and he hears him just in the back sobbing, just sobbing from the back of the cellar. And he goes over, and he finds him just leaning over one of the books. He said, what's wrong? And the old monk said, we got it wrong. We missed it by one letter. The word is celebrate, not celibate. Okay, I'm just going to tell you... That never happened, okay? <laughs> and the truth of the thing, the truth of the whole thing is that there's no other document remotely close that has this much manuscript proof. A thousand times more copies of this document than any other historical document. And you make copies of the things that are important. That's why there are so many copies. That's why this is the best-selling book of all time and always will be. And you will hear, here's what I mean. You will hear sometimes people will say, oh, well, there's so many copies. There's so many variation. Listen, just, just go look them up on the internet. If you've got an English study version Bible that's got footnotes in it, you will see every once in a while it'll say a different manuscript said this. Here's the deal. That's because there are no secrets. There's no, oh, I hope nobody finds out. The reason that they're there is because we want you, as Christian leaders, we want you to know that that somebody might have copied something wrong, that an earlier manuscript might have had something different. And there is no theological difference in any of these discrepancies. Zero. It's not like one of the documents says Jesus was crucified and another one said Jesus had Ben and Jerry's ice cream. These are all just minor variants, okay? They don't make any theological difference whatsoever. And the last one is, is it literal or figurative? And this is, <clears throat> this is a big deal. It's hard, hard to figure it out, hard to work through sometimes when you're looking at, at the Bible. Uh, and, and so I wanted to bring out some help here, okay? Many of you have been around long enough. You remember our, our uh, Pastor Casey Tigert, who used to be on our teaching staff, used to be on our staff, and he uh, took a little hiatus, and he is actually back with us in a part-time role as a, as a theologian in residence. So would you welcome Casey out here with me? <clears throat> <laughs> Hi, bud. Hey, man. Good morning. 
I'm so glad to have him back. Uh, I, I surround myself with people who are smarter than me. All of your uh, campus pastors, just take a look at them and know they're smarter than me. Pretty much everybody but, but Pastor Todd. Right. Everybody is smarter right. than me, and I love that. I love, having, I love having these guys in my life to help me with my sermons. Pastor Chaz does that a lot, too. To help me, you know, kind of challenge me on some thinking. Um, he's been doing that for a long time, and it's good, it's good to have that. And, um, so, so talk to us about... Um, Talk to us about this whole, you know, cultural context thing. Um, how, do, how do we inter- interpret Scripture yeah. when, when we're doing it on our own? Well, you said, I mean, you said the right word there. I mean, what hey, we're thanks. all... Thanks. Yeah. That's because I told you what to I say. I think you did, yeah, um, in my notes. <laughs> it's the difference between the Bible says and the Bible means. And I think that's where a lot of us get hung up, is the Bible says a lot of things. But what does it mean? You know, there's this whole passage with Paul in Romans where he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. When you guys get together at church, you should greet one another with a holy kiss. So if you came in here today and nobody laid one on you, yeah, it's a command. So if you walked in today and our greeters did not kiss you, we are in direct violation of Scripture. So the new training program is called Pucker Up Buttercup. It's going to be great. I don't know if we just lost ushers or we gained may, them. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what just happened. We'll see if anybody signs up today. Anyway. <laughs> and yeah. they didn't have the flu virus, you know, no. back in that day either. So no. please just stick to the fist bump. Bump one another thing. with yeah, a, yeah. Yeah, holy kiss. But, but what's the point with that? Well, the point of that is it's a cultural thing. If you've ever been to Europe, they greet each other with kisses. Yeah. And we greet each other differently. And so the difference between what the Bible says and what the Bible means is actually an invitation for us. It's an invitation for us to actually step into the Bible And that's where growth really happens, is where we start to say, it's not just about what the Bible says, what does it it mean? Mm. And that's not just taking one piece of Scripture. You have to be able to understand everything the Bible says about it. So um, there's there's things that people will throw out these days. Well, the Bible condones slavery, you know, women in leadership issue, divorce. I mean, there's so many things that, that, you know, as, as a Christian growing up and you probably too, you know, growing up, I, I caught, I got that this is what the Bible says. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute, I'm reading this. It it doesn't make any sense. Well, with women, that's an interesting discussion because on the one hand, you've got a guy named Paul who's saying women should be silent and learn in full submission, should not have authority over men. So that's in first Timothy Mm -hmm. named after you apparently. I have no idea. It's not my fault. But then you look at Jesus. Well, that isn't your fault, (laughs) is it? Then you look at Jesus, and Jesus had all of these women that were involved in his ministry Mm -hmm. that supported him. The Bible tells stories of Philip, who had five daughters who were preachers. There was a woman named Junius who was, Paul called her, the most excellent apostle. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So you have these two things. So what does that mean? Well, what what you find out is... Paul's writing this letter to Timothy. They're in this community called Ephesus. And there's this giant temple to a goddess named Artemis. All of Artemis' priests are women. And they all do their priestly work in yeah, a really and, dysfunctional and, and, way. And, and we're giving them a lot more credibility than we should, calling it a temple and calling right, it a priest. Right. It, was, it was decadent. It yeah. was this pagan, sexual, yeah. I mean, it was, it was unbelievably evil. But the note to Timothy is, if you're going to plant a church in that city... Hmm and you have women who are leading, people are just going to think you're the same thing as Artemis. You've got to be different than that. And so he wasn't saying, okay, every church all over the world forever and ever, you should never have women who are leaders. He's saying, this place right here and right now, this is not a good idea. So then what do we do? We're invited to say, okay, what does that mean for us in Orland Park, New Lenox? 
And what are we going to do land. with Genesis and yeah. Adam and Eve and, and you know, I mean, there's, there, how, how are we going to make all those things? And so you've got to put it all together. Yeah. And if we as a church make a decision that's different than another church, we're all still going to be in heaven together someday yeah. because there's passages about all of it. Yeah, okay? absolutely. And it's not, and it's not, a, it's not a salvation issue. No, right? no, not at all. So what about slavery? I mean, you know... That, it, that really irritates me because, sure. you know, I mean, I'm f- just so you know, my descendants are from the South. My middle name is Lee, okay? Uh, like as in Robert E. That, that's, that's, that's where I kind of came from. So back in that day, the whole Civil War was this group of Christians in the South are saying, no, no, the Bible says slavery is good and it's okay. And in the North, they're saying, no, of course yeah. it doesn't. Read the Bible, man. And so what do, how, do we, how do we do those kinds of things? Yeah. That's such a complicated one. My dad actually found this book and gave it to me when he was flipping a house. And uh, the book basically makes the point using the Bible that says when God created humanity, he created white people first. And then when he created the beasts, he created black people. Mm. And it was that all was reasons from, civil from war, Scripture. Yeah, it was from the Civil period. War era. It was all reasons from the Bible because they read it and, the truth and then is, they brought it to their culture and said, the well, truth this is, is Adam was probably way more oh, of goodness. color than, than you, and, you and me, white boy. Adam was so, super tan. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, the, you start looking at the, the region where it might have been, yeah. the Tigris and Euphrates. I mean, it, it, it's just ridiculous. You can make the Bible say, and I've said this many times, you can make the Bible say anything you want it to. Yeah. And especially if you pick one verse out of context yeah. and, and, and you make it happen. And so, so then you have Paul talking to slaves and masters and saying, yeah. slaves, obey your masters. You have masters, treat your slaves with kindness. He never says stop it, which bugs the yeah. crud out of us yeah. because he really should. But what does that mean? And we're invited into, into that a specific to say, yeah, he's context. writing to a specific place and a specific time. Yeah. What do we do with that? Um, divorce. Yeah. Well, it, one, of my, one of the most interesting discussions is about divorce, at least for me, because this is where the Bible then becomes personal is because my, my parents were divorced after 19 years mm-hmm. and, and they experienced a whole bunch of different reactions from the church. And so some churches have said divorce is this unforgivable sin and you're, you know, distant from God and, you know, you can't go to heaven. Some, you know, or in some churches extreme. you can't take communion anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yet in, when Jesus is talking about divorce, when the Bible is talking about divorce, they're talking about it in a time where if you're a woman and you're not married, you are not allowed to work and you're not allowed to feed your family. It's just culturally it doesn't happen. So for a man to divorce a woman is a death sentence. So the hard line on divorce is this is a compassionate moment. And so that's why stories like when you see the verse, I love that cake verse about John 4, when Jesus meets this woman at the well, everybody thinks that she's this loose, promiscuous woman because she's had five husbands. That's not what happened. Jesus isn't saying, you know, you don't have a husband right now and you've been with four other guys. He's saying, I know your story. These guys have cast you aside and they've made you an outcast in society. Jesus is actually being compassionate mm. in that moment. And mm. so a lot of the commandments about divorce are about compassion. So we today also, we step into it, right? And right. we say, all right, what do we do in the 21st century? And God hates this? divorce and we know that. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I mean, we... we you know, we just talked about marriage. We want, we want marriage to be there. We want it to be strong. But, is, but in some churches, they've made divorce this unpardonable yes. sin kind of a thing. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense when you look into Scripture. Yeah. I, and, and I just got to tell you, like that, that Samaritan woman thing, that was 
game changer for me. I'm writing about that in, in my book. It's, it, I, 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 I learn stuff about the Bible all the time. Yeah. I did the innkeeper deal last Christmas, right? Where, where I finally realized that the whole idea of the fact that Jesus was born in a barn is probably something we made up because of a manger. Yeah. And the manger might have been in somebody's house. And, yeah. and maybe the, there was no inn. And, you know, you see what, I mean, we got, we got songs that have been sung about it. So what, what yeah. do you do when something like that happens? What does the Bible mean versus what does the Bible say? And everybody knows when we step into tension is when we grow. Hmm. And so the Bible invites us to step into the tension between here and there and say, what do we do with this? Yeah. How do we step into the middle of all that? Well, and you said it, you, you said it last night. Um, people say, I, I don't interpret the Bible. I just read the Bible. <laughs> right. <laughs> None of you do that. Okay. Nobody just reads the Bible. Everybody interprets the Bible. And I can prove it by just look at your right hand. If you still have it, you don't, you don't just read the Bible. Because Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Right. So all of us with right hands are either really your great causes liars. You to sin, gouge it out. I mean, Jesus literally <laughs> said right. that. That's right. So why aren't you a pirate? Because I right. know you're a bunch of sinners, because I am too. <laughs> I, I mean, we, we do. We yeah, have to interpret. All of us do. It's, just, it's just funny how we, we forget yes. that, that we do yeah. when the Bible comes along the way. Um, again, to say we love the Word, and Absolutely. we're reading a million chapters as a church. We're trying to do this all together yeah. uh, because we want you to be in this. We want you to be rooted in this just just know that that it's not Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so that's a great thing this is where we learn about Jesus next week we're going to come back and read a lot of what Jesus says about God and how that whole thing works I believe this is the word of God that he gave us for a reason and this is the best way you're going to meet Jesus but there's a lot of stuff that goes into this and the early church the early church fathers they, they, you, they didn't have the Bible Peter James John what they had was I know Jesus yeah. and I saw Jesus rise from the yeah. dead and this is the birth certificate of it this is the record of it it's not about a what it's about a who you guys it's not about the Bible it's about Jesus that's what I want you to understand it's about a resurrected Savior who loves you and can know you because you can know him and the Bible is God's word to us about his son as a matter of fact John the apostle said this, he said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Yeah. That's, that's why this is here. Yeah. Okay. Next week, we're going to ask the question, what did Jesus say about God? Don't miss it. You know, you know, you know I'm going I'm to be, be unpacking a lot of stuff about Jesus and who he was. And, and, and here's what I want you to say. I know there's stuff that's confusing in the Old Testament. Yes. I know there's some stuff in there that you're going to have to interpret. And is it literal or figurative? And I know all those kinds of things. But if, you'll just, if you're reconsidering your faith one way to come in or on your way out, if you will start with just Jesus and who he said he was, it will help you, it will help you immensely. Yeah. Uh, thank you, man. Well, yeah. thank you for being back with us. Yeah, Love right. you, bud. As a band called Need to Breathe, I love, I love Need to Breathe. They're Christians, but they're out there in, you know, in the world um, through smoke. This God, when I've got doubts, when I've got questions, are, are you still going to see me, God? Because, again, this is us. We're being real. There's it's not all cut and dried. It's not all as easy as somebody may have made it out to be for you. It's God, Jesus, us. 
in a messed up world. I can illustrate this the best um, with a story. A guy named Robert Rosario was a firefighter in Los Angeles who was the, uh, one of the first responders on the scene of a Metrolink rail disaster several years ago. A lot of people died, and he found that someone had left a message in their own blood underneath one of the seats where they had been trapped on this, on this train disaster. And they didn't know the guy had actually made it. Um, they didn't know this until afterwards. This is all they found as they were looking at the wreckage. This guy in his own blood wrote, I heart Liz and I heart my kids. In his last, and what he thought it was my last moments on earth, he used his own blood to write a love letter to his family. That's what this is. Jesus wrote in his own blood. The father allowed his son to die and give his own blood. And that's what we do at communion time now is we commemorate the fact that it is the body and the blood of Jesus that saves us. That is what this is about. It's a love letter from God. We're gonna do communion now. And I just wanna encourage you, if the door of your heart is open at all to Jesus, take communion with us. You don't have to be from Parfum. We welcome you. There's two cups, one inside the other one. Just take them both out and hold them, and we'll commune together in just a second. Father, thank you for the love letter that you gave us. And Jesus, thank you for writing it in your own blood. I heart Tim Harlow. I heart the people in this room. And, and, and I know that there are a lot of people out there that are confused. There are a lot of people that want to try to get in the way of this love letter that you've given us. They want to try to tear it apart. Lord, help us to remember that's about you. Help us to remember that, that the crux of this thing is about you writing us a letter. God, you writing us a letter saying, I love you so much that I gave my one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That is what this is about. And for that reason, we will be rooted in it. Lord, thank you for this time when we can celebrate together the freedom that we can have in you. Be with those whose, whose heart may be just a little bit open to you. Come in and flood it with your presence. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.